This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I hope everyone enjoyed the sunshine over the last couple of days and didn't spend all of their time indoors in a dark room watching movies like I did. Or maybe I hope you did stay indoors and watch movies because I had a pretty good time, to be honest. I am your host, Fee Wright, and rejoining me after their critically acclaimed award-winning appearances, we've got um, delightful writer and editor Will Cox in the studio. G'day, Fee. G'day. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> and delightful writer, critic and man about town, Stewie Richards via the, the digital networks. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> we'll be tackling a trio of new releases. First, we'll head back into lockdown with Bo Burnham and Inside, his merging of YouTube, comedy musical special and social commentary. Then we'll sit and ponder spies and aged care with The Mole Agent, directed by Meta Alberti. And finally, we'll remember what summer is like during this winter solstice show with Three Summers, directed by Sandra Kogut. Now it's time for the Primal Screen News Bulletin for the week. Acme's new virtual exhibition space, Gallery 5, welcomes its third artist, Ross Gibson, with head underscore phone underscore film underscore poems. I'm going to interrupt my news bulletin briefly to say, am I supposed to say the underscores? Does anyone know? Because I feel like it's a lot of visual. How do you pronounce an underscore? Mm. Just a pause or do you, uh, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to miss, I should have discussed this off air. Anyway, <laughs> um, I'm just going to keep saying them. Head underscore phone underscore film underscore poems. The free and completely online exhibition contains 13 films that creatively remix online archives, including ASIO film material from the National Archives of Australia, which I can't get over. It's fascinating. Crime scene photographs from the Justice and Police Museum in Sydney and Gibson's own social media collection of strange late night phenomena filmed in his neighbourhood over the last decade. So he's drawing on these caches of ready-made footage. The... Headphone film poems are shaped by three guiding principles. They must be produced entirely on the iPhone. They must feature some visualised language and they must suggest an enormous amount more than they show. Oh, I'm sure you're asking how to watch or experience this exhibition. Well, it's showing from the 10th of June until the 1st of October and um, it is all online because it's the new online space at Acme at Gallery 5. So you can visit and uh, check it out via acme.net.au to experience the exhibition. It makes me think of all of those crime podcasts that are really in right now. I feel like it's a, a good vibe in connection to that. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, it, I know. It's a lot more interesting than a crime podcast to me. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm really happy it's online because then I can see it. You can, you lucky duck. Stewie yeah, is a man about town, but a different town, by the way. <laughs> yes, a completely different town. 
It is half an hour behind. <laughs> well, you, you'll also get. Um, I, I'm very inclusive. You'll um, you'll also enjoy this this following news bulletin. I'm giving you a full month's notice um, so that everyone can get their tickets sorted in advance. So this year, the Castlemaine Documentary Film Festival builds upon the experimentation of last year and will be in a hybrid format. So there's screening both online and in the real world. Not that the real world is not online. We will soon discuss this. Yes, there's. <laughs> Spoilers for future conversation. Um, it's being held at the Theatre Royale in Castlemaine along with um, being online, Castlemaine being northern Melbourne as it's often often called. So this is happening over the weekend of Saturday the 24th and Sunday the 25th of July and they'll be bringing you an outstanding program of feature documentaries pro- followed by provocative and stimulating panel, panel discussions and Q&As. So check out CDOCFF. Dot com.au for tickets and more info. Now join us for our first film of the week. You know, I've learned something over this last year, which is pretty funny. Um, I've learned that real-world, human-to-human tactile contact will kill you, and that all human interaction, whether it be social, political, spiritual, sexual, or interpersonal, should be contained in a much more safe, much more real interior digital space directed filmed edited and performed by Bo Burnham who may be known to some through his early performances on YouTube through his role in Promising Young Woman or through his critically acclaimed directorial debut eighth grade shot throughout 2020 during various lockdowns Bo Burnham performs songs and documents his mental health struggles while negotiating the nature of edgy humour. It's more than just a comedy special, however, as the film is an exploration of what it means to be isolated during the pandemic. The film features fly-in-the-wall scenes of Burnham developing his material, and there are also moments of meta-humour as he watches and comments on his own material. Fee. Did this film feel authentic to you? It it did, but it also felt um, uh, I'm trying to find the right words for this, but it's uh, self consciously authentic, or what do we call post postmodern? That's a good. That's a good enough term. Post postmodern. <laughs> Because it's aware of itself, it bre- he continually breaks the fourth wall. Um, he treats himself like a Twitch streamer. He references anything and everything from pop culture from the last 20 years or more. A lot of it is authentic, but a lot of it, I would also say, is him playing a character called Bo Burnham. He's, yeah, it's not... Um... It's it's a dramatic presentation, isn't mm. it? It's a mm. film. I think I think when people talk about stand up comedy or stand up comedians, they they think that they they talk about them like they're presenting themselves on stage, just being themselves. Mm. But they're not. Um, it's staged, you know, for want of a better word. He he doesn't live in this room. He isn't completely alone. Behind that door that he says he can't get out of is a nice house and a partner <laughs> and, and a lot of that Netflix money um, and a comfortable income. And that doesn't diminish the real honesty of it all. But it's good to remember this is a persona. It's this is stand-up comedy is not documentary, so it is it is an emotionally honest, but but ultimately you know it's it's a fictional presentation. I'd also um just quickly like to sorry to interrupt you there, Will. Um, we'll be discussing tonight potentially um 
In the special, they discuss suicide and suicidal ideation along with mental health struggles. Um, if this conversation would potentially be distressing to you, um, please turn off the radio if you think that might be uh, a moment. And um, always feel free to give Lifeline Australia a call on one three double one one four. Sorry to cut you off there, mm, Will. It's okay. um, but I also was I was uh, to circle back to your your point about the house. Um, I did find it interesting the way he presented himself as living in this space on like a fold out couch, um, but he does have like a long term partner of like a decade or something, and it was also recorded in his um, his guest house on his, his property. Yeah, his little pool house down the back. But, I mean, it is fiction. It is – you have yeah. to think of it as fiction, you know. And that doesn't diminish if it does help people that have been – like he was – even though it's not entirely factual, um, the difference between fact and truth is really interesting, what he's playing with. What do you, what, what did you think, Stu? Because this was your pick this evening and um, I've, been, I've been just – just waiting to talk about it with you. So <laughs> we've just been yarning. Bring you back in. Tell us your thoughts. Well, the reason why I chose it was because it was on the top of my to-watch list. I've been recommended uh, it by several friends and um, and it was just pure laziness because I was going to be watching this anyway. So I thought <laughs> I'd add it to our uh, show. Just streamline. But, just streamline. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're an efficient well, what, I, what I really love about this film is... Um, it brings up a lot of themes that I think all films tonight uh, really touch on, and that is the nature of reality and what is real when we watch cinema. Um, both this and the next film, I mm. think um, they're almost mockumentaries in a way where they are performed. They are, from the outset, uh, clearly um, demarcated as performances. I mean, we know Bo Burnham doesn't live in just this one room mm. that is all white. Um, and he even begins uh, the film by even saying this, that the way we engage in online spaces is a pure performance. Mm. Uh, and I really love that he kind of sets this model up being this is just a pure comedy special for you, you're in for a treat, here are some fun YouTube songs. And as it goes on, we, we do start to see hints, I think, of his challenges being in lockdown. Mm. Um, for me, um, in Adelaide, watching this, where in Adelaide we never really had any, you know, strict lockdowns, I'll say. They were brief when we did. So watching this for me, it felt like an outsider. It felt like an insight into experience that I didn't have, but a lot of my loved ones went through. Mm. So it was quite fascinating for me to get that insight of what that kind of, not unravelling, but just that the, what those struggles actually feel like in a sense. And um, I did love that those kind of fly on the wall moments become, became more and more looser and frenetic as the film went on. Um, that's, yeah. that's also a, a key um, part of Burnham's past stand-up work. Um, I, think it's in, I think it's in what... Um, which was a previous special. Incidentally, incidentally, what ends with him walking into the the guest house, um, and then this starts with him closing the door. So it's kind of like they simultaneously one oh. special ends, wow. and then the next one starts in inside. So he's like walking into the room um, at the e end of the last special. But I think it's what, or it's a, another special. It's slipping my mind now. Um, but there's a moment where right at the start of the show, he's looking very anxious and very nervous and he drops a water bottle 
And then he gets like embarrassed and he says, oh God, I dropped the water bottle. That's so embarrassing. What an awkward start to the show. And people start laughing because he's, he's being a bit awkward. And then some pre-recorded audio plays over the top while he dances, which says, I meant to drop the water bottle. I meant to drop the water bottle. Um, art is fake. Nothing is real or something like that. So he's, even when something falls over and it seems like an accident, everything is meticulously mm. planned and organized and, and, um, Scripted. Scripted, yes. Yes, scripting the accidents. Which is fine. I think we'd be in a, you know, a show about film, we'd be in, in trouble if we <laughs> if we thought that scripted art was necessarily Oh, yeah, that's not fake. a bad thing. Yeah. No, no. And that's like uh, that doesn't make any difference from like a lot of the emotional truths that mm. he goes through. And he's uh, – the things that really resonated with me were the unexpected moments, um, like the emotional moments where he kind of sets you up through songs – um, uh, an example I'm thinking of now, there's a clip about, um, white women on Instagram mm. and it starts, so good. <laughs> it starts off quite mocking and, and sort of like mean and you kind of, and as the audience, you're like, ha ha ha. Stock I, standard musical yeah, comedy. Yeah. I know girls that like pumpkin spice lattes. Yeah, that's great. And then. Um, as he goes into the song, he changes aspect ratios and mm. then a, there's an emotional poignant moment in the middle of the song where the aspect ratio becomes wide and broad again and then he starts to talk about this character from, from Instagram and an emotional event in her life and then I, f- I feel like he's trying to make the audience connect with, with shame that, oh, I laughed at someone but they're a real person, you know, and then after they have that moment he goes back to the Instagram mm. feed aspect ratio and um, continues on with making funny jokes about fluffy coats and um, and uh, like uh, street art, whatever he says about, about street art. And, and it was bland and uninspiring street dr- art. Bland, I think. Some, yeah, bland like and that. derivative street yeah, art. Bland and uns- extremely yeah. derivative. Yeah. Um, so it's not just that he's able to observe the way culture is online now but also make fun of it but then also make the audience watching the special currently mm feel and reflect potentially on their own behaviour and their relationship with with social media. I think that um, if you're extremely online, which I, which I am, unfortunately, mm. that kind of, uh, ha-ha, I have depression, I want to die, lol, mm. is quite a common, it's a very online condition. Mm. And the whole demeanour and subject matter is of someone who spent too much time online. Is a sort of threatening aura, isn't it? It's very of the uh, mm. the clock app that um, the young the young kids the young kids use these days. <laughs> oh with... yeah, or the bird app. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The, the, the slightly older kids. Yes. <laughs> very quickly losing their minds. Yeah, my my clock app has a lot of um a lot of young people at the moment saying, "Can everyone check in on on Bo Burnham? Is he is he doing okay?" Which is mm. which is quite um quite sweet, but um. What I would like to know from the more experienced film minds here, what did everyone think of the colour grading? Because I am excited and hopeful that maybe this means that the boring Marvel Universe brown is over. <laughs> Not that I have thoughts on Marvel Universe colour grading. That that segment with the, the intense orange light while he's doing the sock puppet routine, mm, that was... Mm. That's great. Yes. Because that is primary colour to make it look you know, this childish presentation, mm. but that, th- that orange is so threatening and aggressive. <laughs> it was really beautifully done. 
It was constantly changing, though, mm. as well, which I liked. He had a different vision for each almost skit that he went through. And as, you know, these kind of skits unraveled, um, they constantly were sort of undercutting the song. Um, some of his uh, final ones like Bezos and All Eyes on Me and Goodbye, <laughs> like they all kind of began in one particular tone, but then they quickly changed and sort mm. of there was that emotional resonance towards the end. So I, I think every kind of formal aspect of this film uh, from the editing to the colour grading was played with intentionally. Mm. Um, it's very meticulous. It's a film. It's not like a stand-up special usually is where it's a camera Mm. in the, you know, somewhere sort of above the audience watching on stage and the audience of players. Well, the audience Mm. of players here Mm. in a very different and quite clever way, but Mm. it's not just laugh, you know, uh, he speaks and then people laugh and then he speaks again. Uh, It's really interesting the impact that COVID's had on comedy on stand-up and, and, and audience reaction because if you, you just need to watch those American late-night shows to it's see so how they now. handle a lack of audience. They handle mm. it. Almost all of them are handling it very badly. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm really fascinated by you know, the impact the pandemic has had on filmmaking in general because, mm. I mean, if it wasn't for you know, the pandemic, we probably wouldn't have this film. No. Um, shot in this way. Um, another one that I was thinking of, uh, which was discussed on this show last year, was the horror film Host, which is like a 40-minute uh, horror film shot on Zoom. Um, right, and, yes. And it's, it's, I don't, like it's, there's a lot of, I think, obvious crap that is, has come mm. with the pandemic, but there is also these really fascinating plays with you know, filmmaking and what you can do with these challenges. It's funny because it, it seems on the face of it, if nothing like that's been done before in a film, it seems like it's experimental. But there's nothing experimental about Zoom in everybody's day-to-day lives. They just think, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course yeah, you do a film on Zoom. How yeah. else can you mm. do it? <laughs> that's how, where our lives are now. It's it's also... Not int- anymore. No, hopefully, yep. yes. Let's knock hopefully. on all the various various subs, uh, various uh, surfaces. Wooden surfaces. Um, what I'm also... I wanted to as well... Does anyone watch him on his stuff on YouTube? I'm not familiar. I've, I love um, Eighth Grade. It was a beautiful... Oh, it was so good. good. But I think people have recommended him to me before and they've said, um, oh, he's a musical comedian. And I've said, <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> So, you know, I haven't seen it, but but I, I after I seen 8th grade, I knew, you know, whatever kind of film he makes is going to be interesting and mm. it didn't this didn't fail in that regard. What about you, Stewie? Have you seen I, Yeah, 8th grade was my first time yeah, sort of discovering the wonder of Bo Burnham. Um, I actually haven't yet gone back into his older catalog. Um, but I'm interested to now because he does critique it a lot in this film, saying that he feels uncomfortable with it. So his first ever YouTube video, which has like 10 million views or something, is about a conversation. He recorded it in his own bedroom, so it's like he's come full circle. Um, and he watches himself like impassively with this YouTube clip in inside and it's a song about his conversations he's had with his family trying to establish whether or not he's gay. Mm. And so he's 16, he just shoots to the surface of 10 million at this new thing of YouTube. 
you know, before getting a start on YouTube was a concept that existed um, in in society. And it's really interesting, the idea that he has come full circle to being back recording in a one-room space. But then it's also really interesting, I really like thinking about could anyone else have made this movie? And I'm struggling to think of someone that could potentially combine the skills that he has as a director, the musical talent, the writing talent, and then also all the experience that he already had in advance of the pandemic in order to create this because he's got experience with editing. Mm. Um, he's got it, you know, he has all of this experience that exists as being a one man band before that. And yeah, could anyone else have made Inside? Certainly no one with his profile, I don't think. But mm. I mean, YouTube is awash with people with those skills mm. in various levels of, uh, you know, complexity and, and, and talent. But I'm not sure. No, I can't, I can't name anybody. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He also has a lot of expensive equipment in that room as well. Yeah, yeah so the dollar, the Netflix dollar dollar bills have um, definitely yeah. assisted. It's interesting you say, he's, you say he's coming full circle and, and, and creating something in this room again. I mean, it's, it's contrived in that way. He doesn't need mm. to be in this room. He could be no. going out making it, a yeah, that's true. Fast and the Furious level budget film <laughs> at this stage in his career, I think. Yeah, and also the fact that he could have recorded it inside his actual house. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. true as well. Well, but then the backlash there is remember when Gal Gadot did that um, yeah, yeah. that appalling thing where she got all the all the uh, lovey celebs together imagine. to just sing a line of well, Imagine in their mansions. Yeah, oh yeah, that God. made me feel physically ill. Um, yes, that's true. Very good observation. Thanks for reining me in on You've that You've got to hide your privilege, folks, <laughs> if you're going to make it online. <laughs> Um, what was everyone's favourite skit? Does everyone have a favourite one? Oh, look at everyone's thinking. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna talk while while people contemplate. I had two. I loved Socko. Yeah. Um, and I also really enjoyed the Twitch streamer. Um, that and then um, that had a very big Fight Club reference at the start of the film. Um, which what was that? Um, at the about ten minutes in, ah, uh, is this a spoiler? At about ten minutes in, you see a flash of him in the bottom right corner. Oh yeah, yep. Okay, and then, yeah, I, I didn't actually pause on that, but I did spot. Yeah, yeah. So there's he's um so in the bottom right corner at the start of the film, you see a flash of Bo Burnham at the end of the film, and you know this eventually because as the film goes on, his hair gets longer, his beard gets more ratty, he hasn't maintained himself. Um, again, hinting at. Um, depression and, you know, I haven't showered in three days, that kind of thing. And then he plays a Twitch streamer version of himself playing a video game of Bo Burnham starting filming inside where he can press A to make himself cry hysterically, um, look for a torch or sit down at a, at a keyboard. Um, and I really enjoyed his narrative of making himself cry as a Twitch streamer, the kind of ridiculousness that happens on, on Twitch, and then also uh, reaction videos because mm. they're one of my pet hates on the internet and I loved his reaction of his reaction of his reaction. Mm. Oh, I, I hate reaction videos. That is just a trope of YouTube that I don't understand and it makes me that old man yelling at cloud. Um, I do love the, the Twitch skit, um, White Woman's Instagram. I mm. think he's also genius. 
um, and Welcome to the Internet as well. Mm. That I is think, a great song. I think a lot of them are clever, but I don't think this... I don't really think that the songs are good songs as such. Do the know? songs work without the – well, we're going to find that out very shortly. But do the songs work without the vision? I think they maybe work without the vision, but they're not really songs in the traditional sense. They, they, they're there to deliver the joke, mm. you know. They're there to deliver information. Like no other real genre of song does that. Maybe, I don't know, there's probably a, a couple of genres. But no, this the, it, basically if you took the jokes out, they would be pretty – Pretty garbage. They <laughs> <I also laughs> would. I, I also think that they wouldn't work as well just isolated on YouTube. I yes. think they need to be watched in the context in of the yeah, whole yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Well, with that in mind, uh, dear listener, you're going to... Uh, assess this for yourself. Inside, directed by Bo Burnham, is now screening Inside Your Home via Netflix and you're listening to Primal Screen on 3 R. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. We'll be continuing our, our journey into the dark spaces of comedy and reality with our next film. Mucho? Poquito? Nada. Me quiere? Mucho. Está lista la encomienda. In director Mater Alberti's compassionate and witty documentary, The Mole Agent, an elderly widower, Sergio Chami, answers an unusual ad specifically seeking someone between ages 80 and 90. And Sergio finds himself working as an undercover private detective, a mole agent, embedded in a nursing home investigating possible theft and neglect by the home staff. But Sergio soon loses interest in gathering intel on his new friends for his belligerent boss. There is no criminal mastermind or elder abuse scandal. Instead, he finds a group of lonely seniors hanging on at the end of their lives, neglected by their families. Mater Alberti carves hundreds of hours of footage into a film that's part offbeat film noir documentary and part meditation on ageing and loneliness. Stewie, did this film make you see the elderly in a new light? It did. Uh, I, I think when the film really sort of hits its stride and, and he starts making these friendships with these other women uh, and flirting with them, I must say. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's quite the charmer. Uh, that's when it really hits its stride. The whole, like, framing of it being this detective noir documentary, I thought was a distraction from it because, I mean, when sort of through the interview process at the start when they're hiring him, um, I wasn't really into that um, and I was quite bored, I must say. But when he starts making these genuine connections and, and you realise that, oh, actually there's no abuse happening, it's just these women are just very, very sad, um, that is when I think it's, it peaks in its brilliance. Um, but it takes a while to get there, I must say. Fee, what do you think? I enjoyed both of them as separate parts of films but not necessarily joined together. Um, my campy noir heart loved the finger clicks and the jazz and the shadows the shadows and the um, Venetian blinds. I loved that at the start and I was prepared for that story to continue. But then I also really enjoyed it when it showed such a deep and wonderful heart and totally changed direction, which 
it felt like two separate films to me, but um, I liked each part. I just didn't feel it connecting together. Mm. It, it's interesting because it is a documentary, but it's extremely dramatic in its presentation mm. and it feels fictional or feels quite constructed. Mm. Well, I guess, it, I guess if you shoot hundreds of hours of footage, as you can do with digital I'm mm. talking about like it's new. You can do this with digital. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> you, you can carve out whatever story you want, you know, like Big Brother or something or reality mm. shows how mm. they, how, again, and a pop reference from 20 years ago, how they, um, how they carve, a, you know, a, a narrative for a, for a person into a character. Mm. Um, and, and he's very much a character. But I think if this wasn't a documentary, I'd find it, I'd find it really annoying. I think it would be cloying and whimsical. <laughs> but yeah, I really yeah. liked it as a documentary. Mm. Interestingly, though, he was cast. So that whole interview process yeah. at the start was a performance. Oh. The, the... oh, I thought the director wanted him the most, but they still went through lots of people. Was that not? I think he was specifically cast for oh. this film. But the, and, it is. I and mean... as the, the, um, the agent, the, the detective was also cast. He's an actor. Um, <gasps> The Everything, everything's a lie. Yeah, I thought, Bo I mean, was like, right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's correct. I thought the and job interview. When you say yeah. he's cast, did you say don't fact check you? <laughs> don't <laughs> fact check me. <laughs> when he's cast, I mean, when he who goes to the job interview at the beginning, I think that's exactly the same as casting. So I was going to say, well, what's the difference? You interview for a job. Part of the job was this is going to be on film, no, so that's so. casting. But um, no, I mean, if if it's if even the detective isn't a real detective, then that's. <laughs> Maybe a bit too far. Maybe I'll have to I'll have to fact check in the music break, but I'm pretty sure they're like they were specifically chosen for these roles. But he's a killer lead, though. He he's is. an amazing find, Sergio. What yeah. a what a man. He's a charmer, mm-hmm. and he actually I love that he, you know, he. I think again, if I was watching this fictional film where he has these spy gadgets and struggles to use them because he's this doddery old guy, I'd find that really lame joke. Mm, mm. But in real life, it's it's quite human, you know, and it really works. And it's very human, the whole the whole film, even if its contrivances, it's quite And it's all about connection at mm. the same time. Much like much like Bo Burnham was earlier. Um it's it's very interesting. I watched um an episode of what an episode, a screening of um the drum on the ABC and they were talking about aged care and aged care um support in Australia. And this was just last week before um I knew I'd be talking about this film. And it's um such it's uh, such a present topic right now in Australia. Like, how do we look after um, and look after compassionately um, the people in aged care facilities? And I just found it so of the moment in that sense that this is from around the world. It's very far away from Australia, but it's still all of these people felt like um, like like potentially my grandparents or my friend's grandparents. And I think a lot of it connected with um, there were a lot of close-ups on hands. I don't know if you both felt that yeah. that resonance of, of hands, of cuts to hands. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That was just something that really stood out to me of, of connection that um, I could not – speak this this language but I could look at these people and feel their their connection and their relationship and their loneliness and so much of that was expressed through through hand gestures that of course because it's a documentary um well hopefully they weren't scripted um but I I really (laughs) hope not Stewie you're gonna kill me if you (laughs) tell me this is scripted but I I should say I don't think I said this at the beginning but this is Chilean this documentary Mm. and I think um I think in Chile the um 
it, the same thing has happened where, it, mm. you know, old age care was a, it was a bit of a minority issue that wasn't really discussed. But since the pandemic, and this is a pre, pre-COVID, this film, mm. but since the pandemic, that discussion has been all over the place, you know, because mm. everybody looks to, oh, who are the people that we really need to look out for? Um, mm. and, and so mm. this, the discussion she wanted to start has really been kick-started by the, mm. by the pandemic anyway. Yeah, when I because I watched this after Inside and that feeling of it, this being filmed before the pandemic just had this like whole cloud of doom over it for mm. me because mm. this is a fairly working class uh, nursing home and it is about to be hit by COVID. Mm. Um, basically and that I mean I know that's not part of the documentary but I just couldn't divorce my experience of watching it's it part from... of everything now though isn't it yeah mm. you it can't really watch is. something pre, especially something from just before yeah without thinking oh god they have no idea yeah. you know mm. one thing that I I wished was explored further was that maybe the, the staff at the nursing home are potentially hard done by this film because they've been accused of abuse and theft quite outrightly and it's never found they and they are vindicated i mean there's it's dropped in three quarters of the way through spoiler not whatever spoilers come on it's a documentary yeah. grow up um <laughs> that um you know that he says well there's no abuse there's no scandal mm. nothing like that there's just mm. lonely people and but yeah, I mean, it, uh, no, I don't it's think they even hard... really speak, do they? The staff. Well, really that's look at that's them. the point. Mm. It's such a hard job working in an environment like that, where it's quite clear they don't have the resources to properly care for these elderly residents. That I don't know. I, I kind of wish they had some form of a voice in this documentary. Like I know it's not mm. about them; it is about the loneliness of the residents. But I still think. That was sort of just something that was missing from this documentary. They I did. Think. They did do something wonderfully compassionate, though. I think it was one old woman, um, elderly woman, um, Marita. She kept talking a lot about her mother and when was her mother going to visit. And this is a woman in her nineties. It's pretty well established that her mother will not be able to visit anytime soon. And obviously, she's. Um, got some dementia or or something to mean that her memory cannot remember what happened to her mother. And she just feels so upset and so sad that her mother is not visiting her and she's so lonely. And so the staff pretend to be her mother and call her up and have a conversation Mm. with her and tell her how they, they, you know, they say, oh, yes, no, I, I love you, you know, I miss you, I'm sorry I haven't visited, just to continue to give her that, that sense of, of comfort, Mm. even though, um, her mother has obviously passed. And I agree with you because part of the the problem of the loneliness is that the staff don't have the resources to spend the time. You know, obviously they're not family of the, the, the residents, but they don't have that time, that ability to spend and nourish and support these mm. people that are in their golden years, mm. you know. Um, it was – and the more I've reflected on it, particularly you both saying that you didn't like the, the kitschy – noir element at the start the more i think about it now i'm like yes i i'm i'm shifting because mm. it was the emotional sen- like it was sentimental but not saccharine mm. and yeah. if it had have been if it had have kept up that you know like if it had kept that going it would have 
it would have become saccharine and mm. um, intolerable as if a result. If it were fictional, it would be saccharine oh, if, as all hell. Oh, yeah, it if would it was be fictional. Imp- there'd, be a, there'd be a lucky dog involved. There'd oh. be all sorts of – the dog would be ferrying batteries and equipment in and out of the – yeah, there'd be lots of stuff like that. But, um, but Sergio just has such a, a warm heart and isn't afraid to show emotions – which yeah. of a man of his generation, I don't know what Chilean culture is like in respect to, to masculinity, but he was a man that wasn't afraid to no. to feel, to to share, to feel emotions. He was he, he was a terrible flirt, but he was also genuinely moved. Like there's um, his birthday party at one point was a really beautiful mm. moment that I really and that stuff that with. the staff were there's several things throughout that the staff are obviously doing for the mm. for the. Um, residents that are really sweet mm. like his birthday party at one point there's another big party where he is crowned the king of the yes the king of, of the, the home, home. Which is just you know <laughs> this is just really nice really nice stuff you know they're all clearly having a great time mm. apart from the crippling loneliness of being at the end of their lives and their families mm. aren't um aren't visiting so mm. really the whole thing is an indictment on the generation below them who doesn't gen x yeah yeah yeah, Gen X get it too easy a ride. <laughs> yeah, just making eye contact with Carl, our panel op, who's uh, Gen X. There you go. There it is. Um, the mole agent is screening at Cinema Nova, Palace Cinemas, and Village. And you're listening to Primal Screen on 3 Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. You're currently listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Stewie Richards, Will Cox, and myself, Fee Wright. Now join us in the cinema for the final film. Mas vem cá, ela largou o marido, fugiu com o filho. Mas como é que fica a questão dos atrasados? Aqui, à minha esquerda, essa primeira casa com tapume, essa primeira aqui, preso. Three, three Summers is showcasing the talents of Brazilian acting legend Regina Casse, star of The Second Mother. It's the latest feature from director Sandra Kogut, and it's a comedy about gross class disparity and the infinite resourcefulness of those who can never take anything for granted. Casse plays Marda, the 50-something caretaker for a cluster of luxury beachside condos owned by a wealthy Rio de Janeiro, Janeiro family. Unfolding over the course of three consecutive summers, from 2015, 16 and 17, the film follows Marta as she invests in a roadside snack kiosk while tending to the every need of her condescending employers. She becomes a bystander in a major major money laundering scandal and eventually launches a whole new career. With every new turn of events, Marta manages re- to retain her high spirits, her sense of loyalty to those who deserve it and her eagle eye for opportunity. Will, how did you feel about Marta and her resourcefulness? I thought she's a great character. She's mm. and she's so uh, natural, mm. um, and it never feels contrived or melodramatic. Mm. I don't think throughout. Mm. But one thing I didn't know about um, the actor's uh, profile, so I, I think knowing. I mean, if I were, um, it's Brazilian, isn't it? Mm, yes, yeah. yes. So if I were Brazilian and and I was very familiar with her, I think I'd see this contextually be very different. Mm. You know. She could have been an unknown for all I know. I haven't seen her in anything else. But I think that makes a huge difference. Yeah, that that does make a huge difference. Stewie, did you were you familiar with um, Regina Casse? I think that's how you pronounce it, Casse. Casse, yeah, yeah, I think so. I um, I agree. She's brilliant. She's such a good performer, and she's so natural, and she's so charming mm. as well. Um, even sort of in some later scenes where 
Um, she's my, I don't know, she's maybe doing questionable things. Um, she's still lovable. She's great. The film itself, I wasn't too wrapped on. Um, I, it seems like they have this big overarching narrative and they've taken out some of the more exciting moments and they're mm. left with just some kind of everyday kind of dull It's, it's quite slight, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it could have been it's, huge. Mm. Yeah, I'm, it didn't need to be overly dramatic and mm. you know, and gunfire and like mobsters because um, that's all happening in the background. But I think to really get a sense of this um, wealth divide, I think still having some sense of the narrative of you know the 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 other half, I think would have helped. Mm. Um, yeah, I think they wanted to. I mean, I think what it was going for was a transition from her and the other um, service staff who work at this this mansion, going from serving wealth to kind of cosplaying wealth towards the, or literally mm. acting towards the end. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really interesting, uh, you know, avenue, but I don't think it, they really went in quite enough on that. The oomph, the oomph I, factor. Yeah, I guess I guess comparing it to something like um, Parasite, you know, is the most obvious, mm. obvious mm. thing to do. It's covering similar sort of territory, but in a far less... Uh, uh, over the top way, or you know, uh, direct way. It's 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 far more subtle. What it's did a small you, film. Uh, what did yeah. you both think of Mister Lira, the grandfather kind of character? Yeah, that, again, he was kind of underplayed, wasn't he? Mm. he could, mm. There could have been a lot more done with that that relationship. Yeah, he um he he moves in. At, sorry, sorry, I just cut you off, Stewie, just to to provide um context. Uh, the grandfather of the owners of the house that um, Marta works for, he's having his apartment in in Rio um, renovated, so he moves into the the, the beach house um, for the extent of the the Renault, and um, becomes um, closer to the staff than he does to his to his own family. Sorry, Stewie, please. Please, I cut you off. Sorry. No, I was just going to say that I think the relationship that does form between uh, Regina Cassay's character Marta and uh, and the grandfather figure, I think, is very heartwarming and mm. genuine. But it mm. takes a while to get there. Mm. Like it's, I, I mean, yeah. Like I was looking at my watch um, quite a few <laughs> times uh, in that first summer period, um, and then when the arrest happen it's all off camera yes i kind of like that i like that the the big obvious plot is happening off camera but i do think that we would have been served with um getting more of a sense of his uh place in the family and and just a vague tony soprano wisp of an essence yeah well because he's he's not a criminal He's oh a, yeah, sorry. I meant the 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 dad, oh, the that, gets, dad. that gets oh. yeah. That oh just, no no, I, I was talking about the the grandfather. Oh yes yes right yes. Yeah. Um, he's he's a very interesting character, and he, I love the fact that he he makes a lot more sense in context with the um with the service staff than he does with his own family, who have become this nouveau riche gangster family. I um how did how did we feel about how it was shot? A lot of it felt to me like um, I was watching security footage, particular <laughs> camera angles. Even like they do have a lot of security footage because as staff they're often watching the perimeters of spaces and things. But even those shots that are not security cameras gave me that that sensation. How did we of being observed like um like mm. a reality show or something? Yes, like everything was happening and the cameras were just getting in there at the edge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
there was a real coldness to it. Mm. I thought it, it was almost it was almost like a documentary in some respects. Just that that coldness in the third summer period when there's the television commercial mm. or the television production that's happening in the house. Then that was something I didn't get. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like there were that was like it was like that was like a moment where you feel like you've nodded off and you've woken up halfway into the film and it's changed and it's like, who are these people? What's happening? I've missed several narrative beats to get here. I feel so happy you said that, Stewie, because I had that sensation when I was watching it thinking I've missed something at some point. How did we How did we get here? And was it, it, it feels like it was scripted in purely as, oh, we need some sort of emotional resolution. Yeah, and mm. I don't think her... I mean, it's very um, it's very loose up to there, and then then the the lead character um, has this uh, big emotional opening up towards the end. I don't think that was really earned or necessary. Mm. Mm. I think before that she sort of stood on her own actions as a strong character, and uh, and after that it becomes this kind of a bit poverty pornish, yes. you know, giving mm. her this sad backstory that then she just almost out of nowhere spews out, you know, and then we're sort of shed a little tear for her i think no what she was no i I agree i Mm. was really frustrated by that because that whole commercial i had no idea what was going on and all of a sudden she's cast in this role that we're not explained what that is um the entire time i just felt like i was missing so much information and i felt quite dumb as if i hadn't been paying attention (laughs) but i swear i was (laughs) it makes makes me um think as well you um Will, you said at the start about knowing this film in context because there was actually a real banking and money laundering scandal in Brazil during this time period. So it's like uh, kind of uh, fictionalising the accounts of the people that are around people that got arrested for all of these crimes. And it's still ongoing. It's it's still unravelling. This is still happening um, currently. So maybe in Brazil everybody automatically knows the context and this film would make a lot more sense. That's what I was kind of thinking, particularly maybe the style of advertising that they discuss um, towards the end as well, you know, like how does this tie in together? And I felt the urge also that I wanted it to either push more politically, not necessarily emotionally, but push harder politically. There's a few throwaway lines where Marta is giving like a boat tour at one point and she's pointing out every confiscated house, Mm. every house that's been confiscated by the police and it's and she says something like, if it's well-kept and functioning, it belongs to a, f- a foreigner or a soccer player because everyone else has lost their property in this in this scandal. Um, it's a small film that maybe wouldn't you wouldn't expect to really leave Brazil mm. normally, but now because there is, you know, the new films are few and far between and we're very lucky to get all these, these films from all over the world mm. filling theatres as best they can. So, Mm. yeah, contextually, maybe we would never have seen this had uh, last year not happened. Very, very true. Very good observations from from everyone. Thank you. Three Summers is screening now at Cinema Nova and Classic Cinema in Elstonwick. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R. Uh, Well, you're listening to Primal Screen with Stewie Richards, Will Cox uh, and myself, Fee Wright. (laughs) We checked out Bo Burnham's Inside via Netflix, The Mole Agent and Three Summers. The Mole Agent and Three Summers are screening at cinemas now. Next week, the Primal Screen team, you'll be joined by Paul Anthony Nelson, Kate Fitzpatrick, Steve and Stephen A. Russell. Please be sure to tune in again to experience more filmic fun via audio. 
A huge thanks to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast. Carl Chapman for panelling the show and providing production advice and assistance. It wouldn't have come together this week without Carl. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 